I must have dialed 911 50 times, just trying to connect, trying to connect, and it would never connect. Welcome in to Like a Man. I'm your host, Miles Nielsen. On today's show, Brett Walker and I continue our conversation about fishing. We talk about using technologies. We talk about overcrowded lakes. And then Brett shares a time when his boat sank at a tournament and he had to be saved by the Coast Guard. So before we go any further, let's give it a listen. Let's talk live scope. Okay, for those who don't know what live scope is, it is... Uh, another uh, term for a live scope is forward-facing sonar. And for years and years, there has been some form of electronic fish finder available to fishermen. Uh, years and years and years ago, it was just a little bitty round dial that just sent a little ping or a little signal into the water, and you would look for you would look. For, they call it a flasher. You'd look for this red flasher to go around the circle. And when it hit a certain point, that probably told you there was a fish there. I mean, it was very archaic. Nowadays, it's so sophisticated. It's almost like having a a real-time camera. It's not a camera. It's sonar. But the sonar signatures are so sophisticated nowadays that you can see tree limbs, tree leaves. You can see rocks. You can see bridge pilings you can see the fish themselves you can there are guys that are so good at this that they can actually look at the little dot there's a little white dot on the screen down there that is a fish and they can tell you that's a bass that's a catfish that's a whatever just by looking at that little dot what forward facing sonar has done it has kind of revolutionized the fishing world that used to be only down scan so when you turned on your fish finder it was sending a signal straight down below the boat you've already gone past the fish when when you see on the screen there's a fish there then they came out with side scan and you could actually the transponder would actually show you not just what's under your boat but what's to the left and right then they came out with 360 where you could see a 360 degree circle around your boat and now they've come out with this uh Live target, active target. Uh, there's a lot of different words for it depending upon the manufacturer. Live scope. It's basically what they call forward-facing sonar. It's really a more accurate way to describe it would be directional sonar. I can point that right out of the front of my boat, and I can see 50 yards or 100 yards in front of me if there's a fish on a brush pile out there. And if there's no fish there, I can go to the next one. Well, what this has done is it's uh, it's created, there's a lot of people that are opposed to it in that they feel like, one, it gives, for tournament fishing, it gives people a, an unfair competitive advantage. Now, anybody can go out and buy them, but they're very expensive. These units uh, are usually, usually you have a, a module that you have to buy with it that's usually around $1,500. And then the the live scope itself is, you know, another $1,500. You, you're usually going to spend $2,500 or more for this unit. So that's kind of out of the realm of a lot of fishermen's, you know, budgets. So the other thing that it's done is even though we, the fishing community knows 
a lot about fishing, just like I was talking about how you can pattern a fish and you, you, you know, we are, we're very, very educated about fish. There's still a lot of things we don't know. And one of the things we didn't realize that we didn't know is that there are so many fish out in spots where we never looked for fish before and they just got passed by and conservationists would say, that's a good thing. Those fish never really got pressured. They never got caught and they've helped keep the fisheries vibrant. What's happened now is no stone has been left unturned. I mean, uh, what, what, what forward facing sonar has done is it has, revealed it's like the the oz's curtain has been been removed and now there is no place out there on the lake that has not been identified and seen and uh it's 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 in many ways the fish are at a big disadvantage now because we can find them anywhere and everywhere so there's a lot of controversy in the fishing world about forward-facing sonar, but this is kind of, you know, Pandora's box. It's already been open. It's out there. It is not going to go away. And it's made fishing a lot more exciting, a lot more fun. They call it video game fishing. You can literally go up to a brush pile out in the middle of the lake, a brush pile that you didn't even know was there, point your forward-facing sonar at it. You'll see four or five fish in the brush pile. You can take your bait. Drop your bait over the brush pile, and on the screen, you can see your lure drop in the water and drop down right in front of the fish, and then you can see the fish come up and eat it. And it's exciting. It's so fun. Wow, look at that. I dropped it right there, and he caught it. Can you believe that? And uh, it's really helped a lot of people win big, big money in the tournament world as well. So forward-facing sonar is just an unbelievable technology that has kind of opened up a brand new world of fishing, even for many old timers. But it's like any kind of technology. When new technology comes out, there's a lot of people who embrace it. There's a lot of people who fight it tooth and nail. And then there's a bunch of people kind of in between on the spectrum. So from my perspective, I, you know, I have it on my boat and I use it and I, I'm kind of indifferent about it one way or the other I, I, because I see both sides. I think it does from a conservation standpoint, I think it does hurt. I think it does take some of the innate kind of natural instincts of a fisherman away because one of the things that one of the complaints that, uh, that, that a, lot, a lot of people are talking about on the tournament circuit is how do you become successful in tournament fishing? You need lots and lots of time on the water. You need, you know, you need your 10,000 hours or more of experience under your belt so that you can master this. Well, they've got kids coming right out of high school now who are very good with technology, who really, quite frankly, are not very good fishermen. They don't know what they don't know yet, but they do know how to use that technology and they know how to go out to that brush pile and identify a fish and catch it. And so you've got young people with little to no experience that are giving a lot of these veterans a run for their money now. And a lot of people don't like that as well. So it's very, very interesting. I know there, I know of one walleye tournament circuit that has banned forward facing sonar for their tournaments, but they're literally the only one. And I don't see it happening because these companies are huge sponsors in the fishing world. We're talking Lawrence and Humminbird and Garmin. They're the major players in, with the, in this kind of technology. And, um, you know, money talks. 
So even though it's expensive, even though a lot of people feel like it gives an unfair advantage in the, in the tournament world, and even though it may affect conservation, it's, it's not going to go away. I could imagine those veterans getting mad at those young guys coming in and uh, <laughs> yeah. just disrupting it's, everything. Oh my gosh. It's, it's kind of hilarious in some ways, but uh, it's not if you're one of those guys getting spanked by a 20-year-old new fisherman. Whippersnapper, yeah. Whippersnapper, right. While we're on this topic, it was something else that was going to be asked. Overcrowded fishing, it's becoming popular. A lot of people are doing it. Like we were just talking about more technology. It's more comfortable. People are getting more sophisticated. How are you dealing with overcrowded lakes and fishing yeah, so there's a, a couple of things to look at that. I mean, as a fisherman, not to sound cruel, I hate recreational lake people. And I, I don't mean to say I hate them as, as individuals, but I cannot stand seeing a sea dew, you know, come flying by uh, or uh, a, a wake boat with a tuber on the back or a water skier. Those, I mean, it, one, they're out there just having a great time. They have no clue that you're trying to catch a fish and they'll, they'll run their boat and their, their tube right over the top of you, the water that you're trying to fish. You know, they're very, uh, obviously there's some very respectful people out there, but as a whole, there are many, many recreational people on the lake having a great time who couldn't care less about you as a fisherman. And, uh, they disrupt your ability to fish, in, in big ways. So one of the things that we do is we fish a lot of times, like in the winter, when we know you're not going to be water skiing, uh, these lakes, uh, you know, down here in the Ozarks, these Ozark lakes, some of the very best fishing is in the cold of the winter, as long as the water's not frozen. And, uh, we do a lot of that. The other thing is you try to find days during the week you can fish to get away from the weekend, the weekends are terrible. Like at Lake of the Ozarks, it's, it's insanity, uh, out there. Uh, just, just so many recreational boats everywhere. So when you talk about busy lakes, you know, there's two things that we deal with. We deal with the recreational people, but we also deal with fishing pressure and the fishing pressure comes just from lots of people fishing, uh, a lot of different ways and fish. I wouldn't say they're super smart, but they do start to recognize lures and baits. And uh, you will definitely catch less fish on a body of water where there's a lot of people fishing it. The other thing that's happened is not only not only has uh, just regular fishing been, you know, continues to be popular, but COVID really cranked it up in levels like we've just never seen. I mean, you used to be able to go out on a lake many lakes during, during the midweek. And, and you might be the only person out there that, that has, has gone by the wayside. There's many, many people out fishing now, which is good for the industry. Uh, the other thing that has become very, very popular in the fishing world is kayak fishing. And it is the fastest growing segment in the fishing world. And it just continues to grow and grow and grow and become more and more popular. And it's because the, entry you know the cost to get into kayak fishing is just so inexpensive compared to bass boats even a cheap bass boat is not cheap anymore and so you know you can get in a kayak for a few hundred dollars 
and uh, you're, you're fishing. And uh, kayak fishing is just so much fun. And it gives you the ability to access waters, so much more water than you can from the bank. Uh, fishing from the bank is very challenging uh, because you're limited the number of areas that you can actually fish and get a lure in the water without getting it snagged or hung up or broken off. It's a challenge. So dealing with fishing pressure and pressure on lakes is you try to find, that's what you do. You try to fish on off days. You try to find bodies of water that, that you know, that are less popular. And then uh, push comes to shove. You just grin and bear it and just kind of work as best can. You know, another thing you can do, go out really, really early. The fish bite early. The fish bite late. Go out four, five o'clock in the morning. There's not going to be any water skiers or wake boats out there at that time of day. And a lot of fishermen do that. Um, they'll go out very early and 10 o'clock in the morning, they're done. Uh, and then they don't, they don't run into as many recreational folks. Or the sun. Or the sun. That's right. While we're talking about boats, let's talk about your most viewed YouTube video where you talk yeah. about your story of when your boat sunk. Do you mind sharing that on here? Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, first and foremost, I need to say it was not my boat. Um, I was not driving and it was not my boat. Uh, not that it was this guy's fault. This was a tournament. A lot of these tournaments that you will fish, you can sign up to fish as what they call a co-angler or a non-boater. And what they'll do is they will put you in a boat with a person that owns the boat. And the way these tournaments work is all of the boaters fish and compete against each other and all the non-boaters fish and compete against each other. So you're not really competing with the person you're in the boat with, but you're competing with all of the others in your category. So I was fishing as a co-angler, as a non-boater on his boat. It was in Michigan, Lake St. Clair. And uh, day one of the tournament, it was a Bassmaster Opens tournament. And uh, beautiful day, but it was windy. And uh, Lake St. Clair is a lake that is not very deep. I think generally speaking, it's kind of a big bowl and uh, it's around 15 feet deep on average. So it's not what you'd call a super deep lake, but it's deep enough to drown in. And uh, it's kind of, it's kind of what I would call a waterway that uh, boats use to traverse through to the great lakes. And so there's very large boats that pass through Lake St. Clair. Uh, the biggest, you know, ships in the world travel through that uh, lake. And uh, the, the lake, because it's a bowl and because it's located, it's big water and it's located near big water. And, you know, Michigan has, uh, they have a lot of weather up there. That lake can get very rough. And uh, it was fairly rough that day, although it was a pleasant day. And, uh, we went a long distance, you know, uh, we probably, it was probably close to an hour's ride where we went and started fishing. And so we're literally out in the middle of this lake with uh, no land in sight, no big deal. You do that all the time. We had a good day of fishing. Uh, we fished until four o'clock. We had to be in at five 15, five 30, something like that. But we fished till four. Packed everything up. We were really happy. We both had good limits of fish, and we were going to go into the weigh-in and weigh our fish for the tournament. And uh, we ran into some problems. He speared a wave 
And uh, when, when you get in really rough water, it, it's kind of difficult to maneuver the boat. Usually you're trying, you're going at pretty fast speeds as well, because you're trying to get back to the weigh in in time. And if you don't get back in time, you'll be penalized. And if you go, if you're too late, you're going to be completely disqualified. So these bass boats go fast and you usually drive fast and he speared a wave or two. So we had a lot of water coming to the boat. And if you've never been through that experience, if you're going fast enough and the conditions are right and the waves are just right and you hit a, a wave right, you can instantly fill your boat up with water but there's good build systems on them and uh you know the water pumps out and you're usually fine although you're very wet so we speared a couple of waves uh, didn't really fill the boat up by any means we started what he said as he was driving is the boat was feeling very heavy after a few minutes it wouldn't get on plane it just just wanted to not get up on plane and start moving and uh he noticed that one of the bilge pumps quit working so he kind of started messing with the one of the bilge pumps to try to keep it, to get it going. And at that time he, he asked me, he said, Hey, look in the, look in the back battery compartment there and see if we're taking on any water. He said, it looks like there's a lot of water flowing out of this bilge. It's not stopping. So I open up the battery compartment and, uh, it's full of water and he's like, Oh my gosh. And I, I was like, Holy crap. What are we going to do now? Well, he had a couple of these plastic 32-ounce convenience store cups, and we started bailing. And we bailed and bailed and bailed uh, out of the, the water out of the battery compartment until we got about halfway down. And uh, because it's not just that the boat's full of water, water's heavy, eight pounds a gallon. And it was so much weight in the boat that the boat could not get up in plane, on plane. He couldn't get going. So we finally bailed enough to get on plane. And then he's like, uh, I can't keep it going. Jump up on the uh, bow of the boat and see if you can weigh it down enough to get up on plane. And I did. And sure enough, he was able to get up on plane. And we're like, okay, good. One thing about if your boat ever fills up with water, if you can get the drain plug out, oftentimes you can just go forward and the momentum, uh, the forward momentum of your boat will help drain the water out of your drain plug, believe it or not. But uh, I digress. Anyway, we thought we thought we were going to be okay. We weren't sure why there was water in, in there. And we probably should have been asking that question, trying to figure out why is there water. But we kind of thought we speared those waves, and that's probably what the cause is. So we only went, I don't know, a few hundred yards. And then all of a sudden, wow, you know, he couldn't go forward anymore. It was just too heavy again. He said, man, I think it's filling back up. So I went and looked, popped up, opened the lid, and sure enough, it was full again. We're like, holy cow, what is going on? So we go through this bailing process a couple of times. And then like on the third time, the boat just completely filled up with water. It, it went way beyond the battery compartment, literally. And our feet are on the deck of the boat, and it just over our laps and completely full. And we knew, boy, we're in trouble now. We're in huge trouble. And the bilge pumps obviously wouldn't keep up with it. And we had no idea. Well, we knew now there's a leak. Obviously, it wasn't the speared waves. There is a leak. Now, here's what's interesting about a bass boat, which we did not know at the time. At least I didn't know. Maybe he knew. But he, he I don't think he did because he was he as was scared uh, uh, that it was going to sink as, as I was. And a bass boat can sink. It, it can. But the, the nice thing about bass boats is, they are filled with any compartment, any, any cavity, 
in the hull of the boat that does not have a rod locker in it is filled with foam. They inject foam in these boats and they do so. It's a requirement, actually. I think it's a Coast Guard requirement that boats uh, below a certain uh, length have to be able to maintain floatability even when they're completely submerged. It doesn't mean that the boat won't capsize. A lot of times they'll flip over, you know. Uh, we didn't know if it was going to go completely under or what we just knew we are completely swamped and we could drown at any moment. And we've got massive waves. You know, these were waves where the high wave you're and when you're in the, in the Valley there of the, of the, in between the waves, you cannot be seen. There's the other boats can't even see you. The water was that big. And, uh, we were like, man, if this thing sinks and we're, out here floating in a life jacket nobody will even be able to find us so we did put the life jackets on uh you know it's a requirement that when the boat's running in a tournament you have to wear your life jacket anyway so we had our life jackets on but uh we were like we've got to get help and there were no boats we couldn't find after a few minutes one pleasure boat probably half a mile away rode by and i was up there jumping and waving and screaming and yelling and could not get their attention and his phone was completely dead. It would not even power on. And my phone was, was down to the last 10% of battery life. And we're in the middle out there with little to no signal. I must've dialed 911 50 times, just trying to connect, trying to connect. And it would never connect. I actually had my boat there on the lake. One of my buddies was in it. He was fishing with it. So I sent him a text message and I, and again, I had to send it multiple times, but it did look like it may have gone through. And I basically the message just said something like boat is sinking, need help. And at that time we had found there was a big fishing channel, big, big buoy markers out there. So large uh, buoy markers on these channels that we could actually jump off the boat onto the buoy marker. So that's what we did. And they were numbered. I think it was number 26. I said to him, uh, boat sank, come get us. We're at, on buoy marker 26. And shortly after we got onto the buoy markers, I finally connected with 911. I finally got them. They sent the Coast Guard out. 20 minutes later, the Coast Guard was there. We just sat on that buoy marker waiting for them until uh, until they showed up. And uh, boy, I can tell you what, I was sure was glad to see, see those guys. Funny, funny though, uh, literally probably five minutes after the Coast Guard showed up, my buddy showed up with my boat. So we would have, we would have made it either way, but I learned some pretty valuable lessons there. You know, one of the things that, uh, is that, you know, you got, you need to be, if you're going to be on water, you need to be prepared for the unexpected. And my buddy, even though he was a great guy, this guy, he was not prepared. We did not have, you know, one of the things I carry in my boat. Now I carry a spare bilge pump that I can connect any of my batteries in the boat in case I need it. I carry flares. I carry a UHF radio that I can contact the Coast Guard directly if I'm on big water. There just are a lot of things that you can do to ensure that if the worst happens, you're ready. But one of the problems with a lot of bass fishermen is we get so familiar with the boat. We're out on it, you know, multiple days a week. You just get casual. You get careless. In some ways, that's kind of what happened to us because, um, uh, we weren't ready. We didn't have, we didn't have what we needed. If we hadn't had that buoy marker, I don't know. I don't know what would happen. I really still 
don't know because even my friend, I don't know how I would just tell them we're in the middle of Lake St. Clair somewhere. See if you can find us, you know, that buoy marker was the key. That is an amazing story. And I, I remember you, when you first told it to me, the buoy marker is what I remember <laughs> the most. And just, I bet that was, oh man. Um, well, yeah, thanks for sharing that story. I, I wanted to end with one last question and that is out of all the places that you've been, which place that isn't your secret spot, don't tell us your secret spot, but out of like all the exotic places, which one was your most favorite fishing trip to go to? Hmm. Man, it's so hard to, to pick one. Um, what I will say is there's something really magical about smallmouth fishing up north. It's just the fish are just so fun to catch and it's just so I don't know that probably one of my favorite places uh, is the St. Lawrence river. It's just loaded with fish. It's uh, right on the Canadian border in New York and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful place to fish. Um, you're going to catch so many large, large fish and smallmouth bass are, are some of the, one of the funnest species to catch. They just fight. They fight to the death. They fight so hard. And they just make catching the the whole the whole process so enjoyable, so fun. So I would say probably the St. Lawrence River is one of my favorites. But I've fished several what I would call you know very interesting places. The Susquehanna River in Pennsylvania is very fun. It's also a smallmouth fishery, but it's very shallow and it's very rocky, big boulders, and it's just kind of a neat, exciting experience. And this last spring, I went down to Louisiana, Texas border and fished a lake called Caddo Lake. And it has these just loaded with cypress trees all in. It kind of looks like an alien world Lake Caddo does, uh, Caddo Lake. It, it's you and I were talking about Star Wars before we started on the show. It kind of looks like it could be in, in some, on some Star Wars planet, this, this lake. So, so I think kind of uh it's more than just a fishing experience oftentimes it's the environment it's 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 many of the new exciting things but the thrill of catching a big fish is just as fun on a farm pond as it is in the most exotic place in the world and uh i think if you want to have a lot of fun get yourself a fishing pole and go give it a try and and you probably won't regret it I love it. And for anybody wondering why we were talking about Star Wars, I was telling Brett how dumb season three of The Mandalorian is. So don't waste your time <laughs> watching it. <laughs> well, Brett, thanks for coming on. You were saying you've slowed down on your show, but they can find you at Mr. Bass on YouTube, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Bass. And uh, my the other social media, it's all Mr. Bass TV on Instagram and TikTok and all those other places. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Brett, for coming on. Appreciate it. Take care, Miles. Men, go out there and go fishing. Thanks for listening. Thank you.